This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Democrats pull ahead of Republicans in generic congressional polling. Biden gives a masterclass in humility and humor and dismantles Fox and the radical right at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. This is the Biden we need every day. Donald Trump bombs at a rally in Nebraska and can't even get the name of his Ohio Senate endorsement right. While in Fulton County, Georgia, the special grand jury investigating Trump election crimes is now officially impaneled. Midas Touch drops a new video, Weird GOP, on its path to one million views. It's time we awaken the exhausted majority. It's time for the Midas Touch podcast. Ben, Brett, and Jordy joining you, fighting for democracy. We have a lot to talk about today. We have incredible guests on the pod. The top digital activists, I think, in the space today. We've got Lauren Windsor of The Undercurrent. We've got Scott Dworkin of the Democratic Coalition. He just had an article come out in Newsweek about how he thinks Democrats are going to win. I couldn't agree with Scott Dworkin more in 2022. And the polls are beginning to show that as well. Despite the media's doom and gloom story, we've been saying this over and over again on the Midas Touch podcast that where America is, is America wants members of Congress, wants senators, wants local state politicians who are going to fight for workers, who are going to fight for health care, who are going to fight for their jobs, who are going to fight to make education more affordable and are going to reduce the price of drugs um, like insulin. People who are going to fight for the average American, not the 0.001%, if that's even who the Republicans are fighting for anymore. I mean, they're fighting for the 0.001% and their fascist agenda. But Brett, tell us about this poll that's optimistic. I think this poll is a big deal. It's from Washington Post, ABC News. And let's just put it in perspective for a second. November 2021, generic Republican candidates held a 10% advantage, 51% to 41%, a 10% advantage. Flash forward to right now, April 22, Democrats now for the first time in a long time have taken the lead in the same poll, are now leading Republicans 46% to 45%. And you see this sharp increase in the polling, the sharp momentum shift. And, you know, I am once again, I, I say this all the time. I'm not a huge fans of polls, but I am a fan of momentum and understanding <laughs> momentum and understanding trends. And the trends here are you can't deny them. They're undeniable. And I think it shows that as we ramp up to these midterm elections, 
people are going to start tuning in a bit more. And we're going to start really understanding that this election is going to be a choice. It's going to be a choice between democracy and autocracy. It's going to be a choice between these radical right fascists and Democrats who want to strengthen unions, who want to help workers, who want you to have better health care, who want to lower your taxes and raise taxes on billionaires, who want to keep your social security and strengthen social security and your Medicare and your Medicaid. That's what Democrats are for. That's what Democrats stand for. And I think right now we see the Republicans becoming increasingly unhinged, increasingly radical, especially because they are in primary season and they're trying to appeal to the most radical factions Mm -hmm. of their base. And what they're going to have to try to do in the next few months, we'll see if they even attempt this in a post-Trump world or in just a Trump world in general, I don't know, is usually the move is Republicans then try to shift back to the center and try to act like, oh, all those crazy things that we said about pedophiles and this and that. We were just, you know, we're we're more moderate than that. You know, we just want to do this and that. We'll have to see if they try to make those same adjustments this year, because I think the more Trumpian they are, the more batshit they are, the weirder they are. And the more we message how weird and batshit they are, I think the worse for their chances. And I think the more that Trump is out there promoting these candidates, also, I think the worse for Republican chances. And we know that Donald Trump is not going to be able to resist putting his finger on the scale in this election. I was at an outdoors like surprise party last weekend. And obviously, you know, folks in my circle here know what we do as brothers and and know our fight. And so, you know, if if I want to or not, people are always coming up to me talking about politics, which is totally fine. And I had conversation after conversation after conversation of people sort of across the the political landscape say, man, I just want people to be normal. And every time I would look at them, I'm like, ah, you're coming to the right place. Because if you look at those quote unquote politicians on the right, they're not normal. Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's not normal to participate in an insurrection, have these text message leak, go on stand and trial, commit perjury. I know Ben has a hard time calling it perjury, but that's what she did in essence, and not be able to recall memories of what happened that day. It's not normal, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for you to be representing a district And yet you're chasing one AOC in her office, making threats, screaming at her in the mailbox loop over her door or chasing down David Hogg, a gun rights activist who survived a horrible shooting in high school. That's not normal leadership. So they could point to people on the left who are made, quote unquote, fringe leftists. But at the same time, we don't have a single candidate like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, like a Lauren Boebert, like a Matt Gates. let alone have them be the face of the party. People like normal, momentum's on our side. We'll continue to be normal and get the work done. That's why we made the video Weird GOP to really expose those differences. Because what I wanted to do in the Weird GOP video that we made, and if you have not seen Weird GOP, go to our YouTube channel right now. It's right there on the front page or search uh, YouTube or check our Twitter feed for Weird GOP. What I wanted to do is show the power center of the Republican Party that these aren't the fringe lunatics of the party. These are the decision makers. These are the most watched cable news anchors. These are the politicians getting the most attention. These are the power centers of the party. And while you have people like Elon Musk out there who try to cherry pick things from like the libs of TikTok's account that have random people in their Democratic party, I don't even know if they are in the Democratic party. They take like a random 19-year-old who may not even be a Democrat who's like at a college yelling 
Um, and they're like, you see, I'm like one, I have no clue who that 19 year old is. And that 19 year old is not the leader of the party. Meanwhile, the leader of your party are people like Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like kissing Donald Trump's ass every day, literal QAnon followers. Those are the leaders of your party. And the job of leaders is to lead people who may be extreme, but to tell them, hey, stop it. The same way, frankly, John McCain, when he was challenged that one time by an extremist person who was who was out there to watch a speech and John McCain said, no, 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 no. Could you even stop. imagine that today? Could you even imagine one of these Republican candidates going and telling their QAnon base, hey, you know what? That's a little crazy. Don't call Disney pedophile. No, they encourage this behavior. And I saw it. It was like clear as day when Elon Musk tweeted out that, you know, horrific graphic that we were speaking about the other day, acting like, oh, the left has gotten so extreme in this country. And I saw somebody follow up and reply to him and said, hey, just tell me, what is the extreme left that you're talking about? What is the extreme left? And one of the Elon followers posted a reply to this person with a picture of that woman from the 2016 Hillary election, like screaming, you know, that 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 gif or jif or whatever of like the woman screaming at the sky. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> By the way, she was right. She was she was actually right to be that upset that Trump won. But like that person screaming, that's the Democratic Party. Like, I don't even know who that is. What power does this person have in the party? It's the most ridiculous argument. And meanwhile, you have people actually in the party, congressional leaders, the biggest voices on the radio stations you listen to on the TV channels you watch, espousing <laughs> batshit lunacy, including Ron DeSantis, who literally referred to the White House correspondence dinner last night as or this weekend as the cabal using QAnon language. These people are so weak. They're so pathetic. They're so far out there. They're such kooks. They're kooks, dangerous, crazy people. And we need to brand them as such. That's why we made this weird GOP video. And that needs to be a big part of our messaging going into these midterms. I want to get into the White House Correspondents Dinner in a second, Brett. Um, I want to address Jordy saying Despite the fact that Ben doesn't want to call what Marjorie Green did perjury. I knew you were going to want, I knew you weren't going to let that slide. Because I do believe it's perjury. The question, you got to be very careful. The question was, is she going to be prosecuted for perjury? And I said she would not be prosecuted for perjury because I don't lie to the audience, Jordy. I let Word, them words, know. words matter, people. Words matter. I accurately set expectations. Um, but I do want to mention one more thing, too, before I talk about the White House Correspondents Dinner. Brett, to your point about these Republican candidates, are they even going to try to tilt to the center for the general? This is an interesting one. Ted Cruz on video mocking Republican candidates for having to praise Donald Trump in these debates. Play that clip of Ted Cruz doing that. Every candidate says, I love Donald Trump. No, no, no. I love Donald Trump more. No, 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 no. I have Donald Trump tattooed on my rear end. Okay. Isn't that uh, exactly? Uh, what? Wait, I, now let's play your clip. Yeah. From the last episode of the Midas <laughs> Touch podcast episode. of you mocking Republicans for their subservience to Trump. Let's play that. Republicans have made it about. I love Donald Trump. American first. I'm with this America. My America. Here's the flag. Let me make out with the flag. I'm licking the flag better than you lick the flag. Oh, I love Donald Trump. You love Donald Trump. What the hell is that? I, 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 Ted, Cruz, Ted Cruz listens to the Modest Touch podcast. <laughs> he told he stole your impression. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz, shut the fuck up. You, Ted Cruz, you do that. That's your move. Didn't Trump call his wife ugly? 
And Trump he called, like, laughed and patted him on the back. Trump called his wife ugly and said his father killed JFK. Ted Cruz sits in front of a portrait of Donald Trump and praises his loyalty to Donald Trump and does exactly what <laughs> Donald Trump is doing. But let's talk about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, the first time the White House Correspondents' Dinner met in about six years. And the wow. reason... The reason it didn't occur before is because Donald Trump has a very fragile ego. One of the years, you know, I'll give that to COVID or two of the years because of COVID. But the as soon as Donald Trump came into president, he didn't want to have any jokes, bad jokes made about him or funny jokes made about him. So he overall just canceled the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And that's one of the traits of fascist dictators. They can't even handle people like they can't even take a joke. And so part of being a president of the people in a democracy, though, part of this tradition of the White House Correspondents Center. You can say what you want about the tradition. I agree that the press is out of touch with the people in many sense, but it's a mutual roasting of the press and of powerful people. And one of the strongest attributes of leadership, I feel, is someone who can take a joke. Absolutely. And someone who has a sense of humor about himself, about his poll numbers, about, you know, his family members, about Biden all this was on no fire. Oil. Biden was really, really good, too. He was very funny. But, but before we move on, though, but I just want to say really quickly, Trump and, and how he hates, you know, when people make fun of him or say bad things that carried through all the way to his social platform, Truth Social. You can't say anything bad about that platform or Trump or you get kicked off of that platform. You know that? And yeah. And, and you know, the heir apparent to Trumpism, uh, Governor Death Santos, um, same way. He was asked about the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and he was like, I will never, ever attend such an event. I will never attend. Brett, play that clip of Governor DeSantis. Sounds so Trumpy. Governor, any response to Trevor Noah's jabs at Florida and yourself and the sort of debate over whether or not you were supposed to attend the Correspondents' Dinner last night? So I never was, would, I would never attend that. I have no interest in that. Um, I did not watch it. I don't care what they do. But for them to advertise me when that invitation was rejected by my office, uh, that is a lie. But I think it just shows you why that cabal of people um, in D.C., New York, um, are so reviled by so many Americans. I think it's a reputation that's been well-deserved. DeSantis, buddy, you're a weirdo. Stop, stop it. Stop it. Stop, hold on. Rock. Stop it. Just, just, just stop it, DeSantis. Stop the country is healing, kind of, right? Things are getting back to normal, sort of. We're not wearing masks 24-7 everywhere we go, right? As long as everyone's vaxxed and boosted, we're able to start living our lives again. When you look at that crowd, people are smiling. At the White House Correspondence Center, people are smiling, laughing, mutually poking fun at each other. That's a nice moment, right? That's not an elitist cabal getting together to plan on how they're going to eat children or some bullshit like that. No, it's just humanity at work. And you may not agree with everything that they have to say or that. And I mean, I have to agree with like the, the essence of even doing it to begin with, but it's a funny, just friendly overall event. And to just be so mean about it, and angry about it just shows who this guy is. I mean, he's a pathetic loser. I got two new names for uh, DeSantis. You ready for him? Ready. QAnon Ron is Ooh. the first one. Number two, Ron Jerry Taylor Green. <laughs> I like Ron Jerry Taylor Green. <laughs> but I think the better jokes I'll leave to Biden, Brett. Play Biden on McCarthy right now from the White House Correspondence there. I'm not really here to roast the GOP. That's not my style. Besides... There's nothing I can say about the GOP that Kevin McCarthy hasn't already put on tape. 
it's so good. It's so true, too. Um, and now play Biden on Fox News. We're here to show the country that we're getting through this pandemic. Plus, everyone had to prove they were fully vaccinated and boosted. So if you're at home watching this and you're wondering how to do that, just contact your favorite Fox News reporter. They're all here, vaccinated and boosted. All of them. Oh, yeah, Ducey, the, the, Ducey did not like that. And they've been the speaking Ducey about cut. that all day. How dare him? They're all just very thin skinned. I think one of the areas where we've shifted, not not Midas touch per se, but like people in a hole is people get scared of people like Ron DeSantis. People get scared of people like Donald Trump. And one of our big things in the 2020 election was let's not hold Trump up as this strong man dictator. Let's instead attack him for being weak, weak unable to take a joke, pathetic. And I think we need to use those same strategies for these Republicans like Ron DeSantis. Like this is the epitome of weakness, not being able to take a joke from Trevor Noah. That's the epitome of weakness. Lashing out at Disney because you didn't like, because they made a statement you didn't like. The oh, you're afraid of Mickey Mouse, of the Governor DeSantis. These people here. should be ridiculed as weak and not hoisted up as these strong men who, oh, we can't stop them. No, they are weak, weak, weak. That is part of the message that we need to hammer home. And probably one, you know, jokes aside, there was a really important message that both Trevor Noah and President Biden both echoed. And mm -hmm. I think Trevor Noah did a really good job at speaking directly to the journalists at the end. So let's play a bit of his message to the journalists at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Every single one of you, whether you like it or not, is a bastion of democracy. And if you ever begin to doubt your responsibilities, if you ever begin to doubt how meaningful it is, look no further than what's happening in Ukraine. Look at what's happening there. Journalists are risking and even losing their lives to show the world what's really happening. If Russian journalists who are losing their livelihoods, as you were talking about, Steve, and their freedom for daring to report on what their own government is doing, if they had the freedom to write any words, to show any stories, or to ask any questions, if they had basically what you have, would they be using it in the same way that you do. Ask yourself that question every day because you have one of the most important roles in the world. I mean, that's powerful right there. And, I, and you know, he's right. He's right. And it echoes President Biden's point that this is not a reality show. This is real life. This is American democracy. You have an opportunity right now as journalists to be covering and saving democracy. Don't play into the both sides isms. Don't play into the fanfare, all the craziness. Tell it straight to the American people. If you were in Russia and could say anything, what would you be saying? You need to take that to America. If you were in the United States, which you are, you are here right now at a pivotal time. If you were looking back at this time, you do not want to regret what could I have done as a journalist to save American democracy? And I think everybody working in the profession needs to take that to heart. That's why I'm excited today to speak to two incredible journalists, digital activists on the show. First, let's bring in an incredible, incredible, incredible journalist, Lauren Windsor. You know Lauren as the creator and executive producer of the political reporting web show, The Undercurrent. Her incredible investigative journalism has broken some of the most important stories out there. She always gets those undercover videos, including with Bill Barr last week. Let's go to our interview with Lauren Windsor.
But before doing that, our next partner has a product I use literally every day, and that is Athletic Greens. I started Athletic Greens because the vitamin regimen that I was taking was not working. I would take gummies, I would take pills, and it was not having the right effect. And people who have been watching this Midas Touch podcast know the the big change in my lifestyle that Athletic Greens is responsible for literally transform me, my body, my energy. So let me tell you, what is this stuff, Athletic Greens? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you will be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging all of those things. And I take my athletic greens every single morning. When I wake up, I take that scoop, I put it in the cup, I shake it up, put some water and boom, I have all of the energy that I need for the day. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, it's for you. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And tons of people take some kind of multivitamin anyway and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance that all the Midas Mighty are taking. I can't tell you how many people have been shouting out that Athletic Greens has changed their life the same way it's changed my life. Make sure you go to athleticgreens.com slash Midas. And this podcast is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Going online without ExpressVPN is kind of like changing while leaving your window wide open. I think that's the perfect example. You might not have anything to hide, you know, good body, look good, but... (laughs) But why give random creeps a chance to invade your privacy? And so why does everyone need a VPN? Well, when you go online without a VPN, internet service providers, ISPs, can see every single website you visit. And they can legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. Is that something that you want? It's not something I want. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, you could browse more anonymously. When you use ExpressVPN, ISPs cannot see your online activity. Your identity is made anonymous by a secure VPN server. Your data is encrypted for maximum protection. And it's easy to use. You fire up the app, you click one button, and it will work on all devices, phone, laptops, whatever. It works for you. You need, just like I do, you need to get ExpressVPN right now. Even when you're in incognito mode, you think that's working? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Trust me, that doesn't work. ExpressVPN is what you need. Secure your online activity today by visiting ExpressVPN.com 
expressvpn.com slash Midas. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Midas. And get this, you can get an extra three months free based on this deal. Expressvpn.com slash Midas. If you're going on the internet, you really can't do it without ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN.com slash Midas. Let's bring in our first guest, our interview with Lauren Windsor. We are joined by one of our favorite guests, Lauren Windsor, who, of course, is the creator and executive producer of the political reporting web show, The Undercurrent. And Lauren's unique investigative journalism has been responsible for breaking some of the biggest stories of our time. And that is not hyperbole. Lauren has a brand new video out, which she got former attorney general Bill Barr. Everyone's talking about this video on the record, talking about John Eastman's memo on those phony electors. And uh, we are so excited to chat with Lauren. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be back. So I think we should start there. Everyone's buzzing about this Bill Barr video what went into this video? What was, did you expect the reaction that you got? Um, we're going to play that video first for everyone who hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, you've been living under a rock. So let's play that video first and then love to hear your view of how that video came about. Hi there. I had put my hand up and I was wanting to ask you a question uh, during your speech or lecture uh-huh. or whatever, but I was just wondering, you know, if you had talked to John Eastman and, you know, if you knew about the slate of electors, because I mean, I thought his memo was pretty persuasive. Well, his, his idea that the vice president could change things is crazy. Yeah. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with naming an alternative slate electors. There's nothing wrong with that. But you didn't talk to him about it? You weren't aware of their... Ad- I had left. I left on December 23rd. Well, right, but I mean, weren't they planning this like all through that period? I know you waited on line, but there's a line. Is that why you really resigned, though? Was because you didn't want to help President Trump overturn the election? There's a line behind you. We need to move you on. But thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. You should answer that, though, about why you actually resigned. He should have some time with him while he gets his book signed. So thank you for coming. How do you sleep at night? Seriously. How do you sleep at night? Joe, can you help, please? You, You didn't go public with this information. What you did was saved it all for a book. You saved it all for a book, you traitor. You saved it all for a book, you traitor. Lauren Windsor. Is that cathartic? Oh, it was. Tell me, tell me about, tell me about that interaction. Well, um, you know, he had been doing a, uh, a lecture before this book signing, uh, to discuss, uh, you know, with Ted Olson, who I actually know, um, personally, because he was an instructor of mine at an Aspen Institute seminar. Um, You know, they were talking about the various aspects of uh, his tenure at the Justice Department, you know, um, delving into the book for a a packed house, really, at the Reagan Library. And uh, it was just really mind boggling to me how uh, everyone was eating it up, that Bill Barr was some patriot for telling it like it is. And uh, I was actually really disappointed in Ted because uh, he, you know, like calling Bill Barr a patriot for, for really slinking out of the Justice Department at a critical time uh, of vulnerability for our country to me is, is 
he was just the antithesis of a patriot. He was a coward. Right. You have someone like a Ted Olson who in a lot of these constitutional discussions, people say, well, people like Ted Olson, you know, at least he could have a, an argument with him that's based and rooted in the law and is not an insurrectionist and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, he still gives comfort and aid to a Bill Barr and Bill Barr's hoisted up by Republican establishment who tried to claim that, hey, we're not insurrectionists as still being someone who's like moderate. And there's nothing moderate about Bill Barr. Oh, not at all. And if you could listen to the, the lecture part of, of it, and, you know, I, I may go through and clip out some of the most uh, atrocious segments of it, but it was disgusting. I, I can't believe that people are giving this man a platform. And the most, you know, egregious examples of it are, you know, on mainstream media, you know, why he should be invited to any uh, you know, political talk shows is a malpractice of journalism. Well, that's why you created the undercurrent, because mainstream media is not asking the tough questions. So you ask the tough questions in this unique style. So going back to Bill Barr, I want to talk about some of your other videos. But with your with this specific interaction with Bill Barr, was there anything unexpected about his reaction? Um, did you expect it to go like that? Like, tell us about that interaction directly. You know, this guy is a coward. He's slick. He's a creature of Washington. I mean, I in the context of like having him sign a book when there's, you know, uh, all these people around and it's a very tight, you know, time frame to be actually able to engage somebody in a conversation. You know, I didn't expect to get some in-depth answers, but I did think that it was interesting that, you know, he claimed to not have any knowledge or contact with John Eastman, but the way that he had framed it, you know, saying, like he dodged the question immediately instead of saying he didn't have any contact with him. You know, I, I said, you know, did you talk to John Eastman? He didn't say no. He said, I was already gone by then. I said, but you weren't aware of it. He said, Nobody told me about it. So to me that uh, betrays a bit of, okay, what conversations did you have with John Eastman? Because maybe he didn't tell you about the alternate electors memo, but if you hadn't had any conversations with him, you would have said, no, I never talked to him. Not, I wasn't there. That's the thing. In that interaction that you had with him, what you're telling us right now, what that interaction demonstrated is far more than I've seen on any Bill Barr interview with any of the mainstream media. And you had to go there essentially undercover with the undercurrent and ask him these questions at a book signing. And let's talk John Eastman now, because your undercover video of John Eastman, I think will go down in the history books. And of course, John Eastman is the Trump attorney who devised the January 6th coup memo, which outlined how to overturn the results of the election. And through the course of your long conversation with Eastman, he seemed very eager, almost giddy. It was weird, you know, to admit the coup plot to you, just how he was even talking to you. And he blamed Mike Pence for not taking his legal advice, saying Pence was an establishment guy. I want to play the video, then get your reaction. We're huge Trump supporters, and we were actually at January 6th. Oh, yeah. We saw your, Did speech. I, saw your speech. Should I incite you to go down to the Capitol and riot? You actually incited us to become supporters of Claremont. Oh, good. Very yeah. good. Very good. Well, but I read your memo, and I thought it was solid in all of its legal arguments. Yeah. And I just, I was floored that, that Mike Pence didn't do anything. I mean, 
saying, why didn't he act on it? Because you gave him the legal reasoning to do that. I know, I know. No, it's supported and supporter. Like, why do you think that Mike Pence didn't do it? Well, because Mike Pence is an establishment guy at the end of the day. Going in and talking to to Eastman, he he was very giddy. He. Uh, I think had been under such attack from, um, you know, the mainstream media, from the, you know, folks in Washington that to have someone praising him, um, you know, was, you know, a foreign feeling to him. It was like, oh, I have this, you know, fan here who's giving me all this praise. And yes, I am a genius. This woman is recognizing my genius. And it was like, I allowed him to just like unleash, like open up how he really felt after, you know, this sort of like trying time of, you know, keep in mind that it was days before he had given an interview to the National Review Online where he had distanced himself from the memo and, you know, was saying, oh, you know, this was just something that we wrote and nobody took it seriously. And, you know, people thought it was crazy. But then I'm like, I just thought your your legal memo was so persuasive. I mean, <laughs> your legal reasoning was just genius. I don't know how Mike Pence was able to resist. And he was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Mike Pence is an establishment guy. And everyone, you know, like who who didn't go along with my reasoning. <laughs> corrupt uh they're corrupt rhinos we were on a call with 300 state legislators and they're all spineless cowards they wouldn't do anything i just you know gave him permission to unleash and he he did and it it was very amusing for me probably not so much for him in the aftermath (laughs) well it, it was the truth and it was a moment where you got him to let his guard down and actually say what was in his heart and what is in the heart was very evil. And it was the coup plot that he had talked about. I have to imagine as you've gotten more famous, you've been featured on Rachel Maddow now, your videos have been viewed millions of times. On the one hand, you would think that that makes it difficult for you in that Republicans, these radical right extremists who you interview, that they would recognize you. On the other hand, they're idiots. And <laughs> strong <laughs> and argument. That, and that even if they knew it was you, you know, it's kind of like Batman. If he just wears the mask, it's like you can't tell who that is, or like Superman. It's Clark Kent. It's, it's all like, it takes. Now I get it. Like maybe just putting on a hat, they'd be like, oh, that's not Lauren Windsor. That's someone who looks like Lauren Windsor, but that must be someone who loves me. (laughs) So tell us about that dynamic, though. Is it more difficult for you now? In some ways, yes, because, you know, people might know my name. And, um, you know, when you have to use your name for events, anyone who's industrious, you know, can uh, figure out uh, identities. But uh, in terms of, you know, visual ID, uh, you know, it, you might know somebody's name, but you know, if you saw them in person and in a different context, you know, it doesn't, unless someone's really famous, it's, it's hard to pick them out in a crowd, right? Like think about how many people, you know, in the political world where you know their name, know a lot about them, but you know, if you saw them maybe 10 feet from you, you wouldn't be able to identify who right. they are. Here's why I love talking with you, Lauren. Um, and why when I first met you, I was like, oh, she's incredible. You really love doing this. Like 
you have an unbridled passion for this <laughs> line for this line of work and you're enthusiastic about it I, the drive that you have to do it i love obsessive people who have that kind of you know unending goal and just go <laughs> for it and don't care about anything but just the truth so like where do you get that from and like why do you do this i mean well, where do you every day you wake up and you think about this it's not like this is like making a ton of money or or anything like you do this because you love doing it and how do you balance that how do you think how do you think about that yeah i mean you know i'm not like you know mincing cash off of uh <laughs> exactly. you know uh, working as uh, you know a gonzo journalist uh, <laughs> through, our, through our nonprofit, um, you know I make decent money. Uh, but I, the, if I were driven by by money, I certainly wouldn't be uh, you know working in political advocacy. Um, but for me, uh, the thing that, that that really fulfills me in all of this work is you know being able to make an impact on the political discourse and. Uh, you know, so much of the undercover component of this and uh, the work, you know, since really the 2020 election um, to hold insurrection, in, insurrectionists accountable is, you know, we were in a pandemic, we we're, you know, at, about to be in this major election that would determine the future of America and really like, like, this is going to be a huge like turning point in our history. If, if Trump wins a second term. And I just remember, you know, when Biden won the election and we had the like Senate up for grabs and I'm like seeing all of, all of this anti-democracy uh, election overturning sentiment on the right. And I was like, I'm going to do what I can to expose these people for the threat they are to uh, our democracy. And, you know, the, I spent six weeks in Georgia and broke major stories on how Tommy Tuberville, he was uh, then Senator elect, you know, was going to challenge the electoral college from the Senate side. And until that point in time, everyone in DC had really written off the electoral challenge sort of movement uh, as just being like a crazy right-wing thing that's being led by Mo Brooks. If, you know, folks aren't familiar with Mo Brooks, he's a congressman in Alabama, but he was the one that was leading the charge in the house to challenge the electoral college vote. And the only way though, that it would be taken seriously is if there was also someone in the Senate to do that. And at that point in time, there wasn't. So breaking that Tommy Tuberville scoop unleashed a lot of animus from the president. Trump retweeted me which the, the day that that happened was <laughs> I remember that vividly insane because <laughs> I had followed up the Tuberville thing. I had talked to David Perdue and he said he committed to also um, uh, challenging the Electoral College, even though technically he couldn't do that because of the way that his term was ending. And so Trump retweeted my Tuberville video. And then the story that I had on Purdue wasn't a video, but it was like a post that I had with a picture with with Purdue. Trump quote tweeted and said, that's because David Perdue is a patriot. Thanks for all your hard work, Lauren. And I was just like, <laughs> holy shit. Like this is, it was in succession, you know, like these two tweets and he had been, you know, amping up, ramping up his um, pressure on Tuberville and on Purdue and on like everyone in Georgia to overturn the election. And so 
in short succession after that, you see Josh Hawley step forward and say, you know, I too am going to challenge the Electoral College. And then, you know, Ted Cruz, not one to be left out of the limelight, you know, jumps in, but I'm going to challenge the Electoral College. And so what has driven me to move forward with, with this is just spending so much time swimming in this like right wing fringe, like cesspool is that I see the craziest of the crazy. And whereas everyone else is writing it off, I, I see it like actually be, like the Republican party is giving lip service and more than lip service to it. It's people in, I think in the mainstream press are like, Oh, they're just, you know, playing the role it's lip service, but I'm seeing them actually like take action on it. You know, we've been covering right. um, everything going on in Arizona, the audits there. And, um, you know, everyone thinks the audit is dead, but, you know, we have upcoming, uh, an upcoming story we haven't published yet. Actually, it was an interview with uh, Karen Fan, who's the leader of the, the Senate in Arizona. And they're still moving to, to decertify Arizona's results. And they think that they're going to be able to do it through the courts. It's really mind boggling the things that they think that they're going to do ahead of 2024. So you heard it here first. Trump is going to lose Arizona for the 57th time. <laughs> Just it's, it's unbelievable. But you call them the fringe uh, cesspool or I, I don't want to get your phrasing correct, but something to that effect. But they, this fringe cesspool has become the mainstream Republican Party. And I'm sure you yourself have seen a shift in the Republican Party since you started doing this work. What sort of changes have you seen since we last spoke, for example? I think you were last on the show last July. Have you seen this become kind of more mainstream rhetoric out there? I don't know that I would say that the decertification is mainstream, but I mean, you you see uh, candidates running on decertification. So I was in Georgia, uh, I think it was last month, and talked to Jody Heiss, who Jody Heiss is a congressman, and he's running uh, to unseat Brad Raffensperger Mm -hmm. uh, from Secretary of State in Georgia. So uh, you guys would be familiar with Brad Raffensperger because it's the infamous call with Donald Trump, where, you know, Trump wanted him to find I think it was 11,780 votes. That's all you need, you know, one more than, uh, you know, what, whatever Biden has. What a coincidence. <laughs> right. Well, so Heiss is, you know, running to decertify the election. You know, I asked him if he, if he wins, if he's elected, if he would uh, work to get the, the election decertified. And he said, you know, yeah, that's, you know, why well, I'm running, you know, and I said something else about, uh, you know, I wish you had been there in, in, in the job instead of Brad Raffensperger. Um, and he was like, yeah, we wouldn't be here right now. I was like, I know you would have done the right thing. I wish you had been in there instead of Brad Raffensperger. He's like, we wouldn't be here right now. Do you think that's the key to it, Lauren? Do you think it's the voice? Do you think it's the presentation? I mean, you make these people very comfortable. I have to imagine the cycle from like John Eastman, for example, of being like, wow, I got this fan. Somebody loves me. Oh my goodness. To later in the day, seeing you post the video and going, shit, I got God. <laughs> so I, 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 what, do you, what do you think is, is it is about you that you get in there and all of a sudden they're just like, okay, everything. I'm telling her everything. I think that... It's human nature, one, for, you know, anybody to want praise, but particularly people who work in politics, uh, you know, uh, political figures, you know, you're in the public, uh, you know, spotlight and 
sometimes that glare can be, uh, it can be a really harsh glare, you know? And so when you have someone that's singing your praises and telling you how amazing you are, you're like, yeah, yeah. Tell me more. I'd love to. Yeah. And you just takes a little bit of digging, you know, to, you know, try to move them down different tracks, but you know, not everyone is, that is as responsive to that. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've definitely not, you know, nailed it every time, but it, no one will like it's, that's, what's so great about it is you're really in, you step into the arena and you're in a battle of wits and every situation is different. Like, you know, the person you're talking to is different. The setting is different. You know, how are you going to ride this wave, you know, right to the outcome of, of uncovering some truth and, you know, sometimes I go in with like a preconceived notion of how someone will answer something and it's mind blowing, like in the moment of asking him, asking them whatever question it is. And uh, what comes to mind is the Ron Johnson clip where, mm-hmm. you know, he's been kind of at the forefront of, you know, uh, being a proponent for the big lie. And when I asked him why he didn't do more to fight for President Trump, you know, the election, we know the election was stolen. And he really like took time to uh, very rationally and like uh, give me like an in-depth, like analytic response to how Trump actually lost Wisconsin. Uh, And so, you know, that to me was incredibly newsy and it, you know, led to a different profile. Like it was a big reason why the New York Times profiled me. It was a a big reason why I got the the profile in the Daily Beast, the Washingtonian was because yeah, you know, the New York Johnson. Times profile was incredible, unbelievable. Thank you. And and so sometimes you use honey to uh, to attract these people, but sometimes you just go straight in, like with Matt Gates and one of my favorite clips of all time of you chasing Matt Gates down at a impromptu press conference. <laughs> Where was he exactly here, Lauren? Well, so this was in D.C. It was in front of uh, the Department of Justice and they were giving a it was it was him, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Greatest Louis, hits. Louis Gomer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I use a mix of styles, so it might be undercover uh, <laughs> in some settings. This was definitely not undercover. I was trying to ask him a question during the press conference, but it got cut short because there were, you know, loud protesters uh, that weren't with us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, were sort of disrupting the the whole thing. It, it was quite the circus. But um, in we actually like through our uh, nonprofit had um, brought this Trump puppet who the Trump puppet is a huge like party pleaser. Everyone loves this uh, street puppet. It, it's enormous. Um, it's a paper mache like head, like enormous head that sits on top of a person. Right. And so the sign on the front said like uh, Trump won. But when you flip it on the other side, it says pedophiles for Trump. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at a key point in time during the uh, press conference, like as they're about to you know, call the whole thing <laughs> off. Um, the guy wearing the the puppet flips the sign and, you know, the media already had like figured out that something was going on. And so all the cameras were trained over there and all of a sudden it just becomes like absolute mayhem. And I just like, like, I'm like a, 
I swear I must have been like a bloodhound in a past life, but uh, I immediately I see Gates and I, I'm going after him. And I just like keep hammering him with, you know, are you a pedophile? Are you a pedophile? Are you a pedophile? Congressman, are you a pedophile? And, it, you know, it'd be one thing if it weren't a legitimate question, but the guy is being investigated for, uh, yeah. you know, trafficking minors across state lines for sex. So I think it's a, a relevant question. Yet no answer for Matt Gates, right? On that question. Yes you or no question. You, you, could, stop, you would think you would just stop and say like, no, like unequivocally, no, I am not. End of story. And that would be like, mm-hmm. okay, wow. Like, wait. then I look like an asshole if I'm continuing to chase you down. Like you gave me an answer, right? <laughs> totally. Well, for, for you're Mario, not going to answer. We keep asking. Oh, hundred percent. And and you were relentless as you should be. But from, from your experience on the ground, what do you think is the message that Democrats need to have with the knowledge that you have in mind going forward into these midterm elections? What do you think they should take away, whether from your work or just in general? Like these are the things that people need to be hearing about. Well, you know, I think that Democrats really need to, uh, you know, be driving that wedge in the Republican Party between, uh, you know, the people who uh, are you know, traditionally more rational Republicans, like maybe the establishment uh, types, like the Mitch McConnell crowd uh, and uh, the faction of the party that's, I think, most exemplified by like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, the the fact that there's this like warring, uh, uh, you know, increased tension between them, uh, that's, I think, what really led to uh, Democrats winning uh, the two Senate seats in Georgia. I agree, that- yeah. Um, you know, you have that heightened tension. And at the end of the day, like average, the average voter doesn't want to see, uh, you know, the will of, of, of the electorate being overturned because of, you know, partisan ideological uh, maneuvering. So I think that Democrats would be uh, well served to continue to expose that and, and, and drive that wedge of, you know, make them all wear the mantle of Marjorie Taylor Greene, because that's what they're enabling. That's what they're empowering. I'm right there with you. And Lauren, we are so grateful for your work. Independent journalism now is more important than ever, as we've seen the incredible void that you have filled with your reporting. It is so, so, so important. But you know what, everybody out there, we got to support independent journalists. We need to support independent reporting. So Lauren, where could our listeners go right now to support your work? Well, the main ways that you can support the work are by donating to American Family Voices to, uh, you know, enable us to hire more people, to do more interviews, to travel to more places. Uh, you can do that at AmericanFamilyVoices.org backslash donate. Uh, the other way that you can help us out is to amplify our content. So follow me on Twitter and share our videos, share our reporting, and you can follow me at L.A. Windsor. That's L-A-W-I-N-D-S-O-R. Lauren Windsor, one of the best to ever do it. Thank you so much, guys. I love Lauren Windsor's passion. Unending passion. Unmatched. Unrivaled. Really unmatched passion. Like the amount amount of stories that she's broken, Mm -hmm. um, that people just talk about and accept as important facts that show and expose the corruption of Republicans. Um, you know, you go, you think about a lot of the scandals that were taking place around uh, Chicken Purdue in the Georgia elections in the Senate. You think about looting Leffler. Um, 
Lauren went into Georgia. There's just one. She, she <laughs> embeds herself and she exposes all of this corruption. So it's so great to have Lauren on. We're going to bring Scott Dworkin in in a second. And I do want to talk, though, quickly about Donald Trump at these rallies in Nebraska before bringing Dworkin in. I don't even want to go through like the whole it was a utter disaster, you know, and Trump was basically saying how upset he is when people call him stupid. Like, what are, what are the point of these things anymore? It's just him going up there like it's, I guess, a therapy for him. And he just basically says, I get really upset when people call me stupid, but I'm not stupid. That's like his new talking point. We saw it at the last rally where he wanted to talk about the man, person, chicken, whatever test that he took. <laughs> that's like his new, that's yeah, his new I'm not like, stupid. By the way, point. do you know my friend J.D. McDaniel? Yeah, here, yeah, here was the here was the full takeaway. Trump spent went on a whole tirade, if you want to call it that, about how impressive it was that he passed a test made for dementia patients because he was able to say person, woman, man, camera, TV. That he he's so proud of passing this test that he speaks about it literally every single rally. The weird, it's the weirdest thing. Weird, it's weird. The, it's the just strangest weird. thing in the world. It's now, the, just imagine, just put yourself at work. <laughs> Like, imagine you're sitting in a cubicle, you're an accountant, okay? And you're doing an audit, you're going through the numbers, and then your boss just kind of comes up to the cubicle and goes, and goes, Sally, I want to tell you about something. Yes, yes, boss. Well, Sally, I am the smartest man alive in the United States of it's, America. I mean, the entire GOP power structure, including Trump and all their candidates, are like the crazy person you see on the corner of the street screaming at you that when you're in the car, you're like, leave the window up, lock the doors, lock the doors. Like that's the Republican Party in a nutshell. And immediately after bragging about passing this test, he then proceeds to get the name of the candidate who he endorsed in Ohio. In Ohio. I don't even know why he was talking about Ohio and Nebraska. Nebraska. Not quite sure he knew where he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he proceeds to get the Ohio candidate's name completely wrong and in fact says the name of the candidate who he didn't endorse. So and this is two days prior. Wait, he to messes up the name of the candidate who doesn't divorce, didn't endorse, but basically said the letters that seem to indicate J.D. Vance, but says what? He JD called him Man J.D. Mandel. So the candidate who he did not endorse is Josh Mandel. And he called the candidate J.D. Vance. We did endorse J.D. Mandel. So he mashed up their two. Let names. me just say that they're, they're two horrible people people in their own right. Let's please not make a Frankenstein of them in general, because that would just be the worst. Let's play the clip, Brett. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? J.D. Mandel. And he's doing great. They all deserve this. I mean, Josh Vance, who has just just sucked up to Trump for so long right now, begged for his endorsement. J.D. Vance. Vance. Now he's getting you. I was like, I was even thinking, I'm like, wait, did he just say Josh? J.D. Vance, I, Josh I, Vance. I, 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 I called him Josh Vance yesterday. Really, really rough times for Josh Vance. But let's just keep it. Everybody in Ohio, right? And J.D. Mandel. So good. In your, <laughs> and, and I do want to touch upon this news because it's big news, needs to be covered. Um, in Fulton County, Georgia today, a special grand jury is being paneled around Trump's election related crimes. And they're going to be looking into Trump trying to extort the secretary of state saying, please find me the votes and other criminal conduct that Trump tried to tamper with those elections. We will keep you posted on everything that's going on there. And when with that special grand jury and with that prosecutor that you have 
in Fulton County. Um, you know, I do feel very strongly there that justice is going to be served in Fulton County, but we will follow the progress of that special grand jury. Let's bring in Mr. Dworkin himself. We are joined by Scott Dworkin, co-founder and executive director of the Democratic Coalition, host of the Dworkin Report. I could list probably a hundred other things that Scott does, but you all you all know Dwork. Scott. Scott, Dwork. welcome to the podcast. What's up, Midas brothers? How are you today? Let's doing, go. Doing great, Scott. So Scott, when people go check out your Twitter account, which has more than one million followers, Woo. you you know, leading the blue wave in past years, you know, you prominently display blue wave two. Let's do this. The next blue wave is coming in 2022. We believe that to be the case. We believe there are a number of indicators that are out there, both abroad in other countries and here with some local elections that we've seen recently that would indicate that. So so tell us, do you really think that there could be a blue wave in 2022 against what all the critics say? Yeah, I mean, I just wrote a piece for Newsweek uh, and I explained the pro-democracy party is Democrats and it's their election to lose. It's not, you know, Republicans are the ones that are in disarray, not the freaking mm-hmm. uh, Democratic Party. What is in disarray in the Democratic Party is the fact that, that there's not that one cohesive message in simple messaging form of like, OK, we passed the infrastructure bill and we spent it on X, Y, Z. But instead, we're like, OK, we're going to we have this much money for this state in this specific property we're going to develop. And it's just too much in the weeds. We need to get broad with it. We need to talk bigger and we need to have those uh, hot retorts that Midas brothers have. You know, we got we got to have that kind of flashy comeback where we actually have sassy talking points and not just, you know, sitting and taking it or acting like we're above the fray. Um, so we need to be uh, wrestling in the mud with them. And also, um, you know, I, I think that if we don't focus on the fact that we have been winning outside of Virginia, we have been crushing it. And 2018 was just the beginning of the blue wave. 2020 was a great continuation of it. Georgia was a, a phenomenal uh, two seat uh, win, win there in, in Georgia uh, for the Senate. And I think that we can expand the Senate and hold the House um, because the implications, if we do not, it are just so disgustingly troubling. Um, so I, I think, it, yeah, it's it's Democrats election to lose, especially with, you know, everything with January 6th coming out. But we can't run just on, you know, they did this on January 6th. They're the party of traitors. They're the anti-democracy party. We have to run on Here's what we've done. Here's what we're going to do. We put money in your pockets. We protect your health care and they've done shit. And we need to make that clear every single day and pound it home simply yeah, like y'all do in ads, which is just like, boom, boom, boom. Um, if we go on the attack, we have to also go on the offense. We've got to play all sides of it. Uh, we dominate the messaging space in most social media. So we need to act like it. And we dominate on social media because the platform is democratized, then when we speak loudly, it breaks through because it connects with the people. I think one of the problems is that the mainstream media, obviously Fox is a full fascist, but when you start looking at even of the CNNs in the world that cover the elections, like it's a, a basketball game, right? Between two different teams 
that are both good teams or both bad teams one day. And they don't really focus on, well, one team's trying to overthrow uh, the United States government. And increasingly, once they adopt a narrative, they like, cling to it. The narrative of the media is because Biden's the president, the Democrats control the White House. Therefore, the other party can't win. That, so that's what they just say because they're morons and they can't actually have intelligent conversations. So they're like the Democrats are in disarray. It's like no, the Republicans are like in a full fledged civil war against each other right now. And it's barely being discussed that way in the media. So what do you think's going on there with with just the media generally? And would you agree the Republicans are in complete disarray? Yeah, obviously, Republicans are in complete disarray. And and keep in mind that I always wonder and who, who I have a problem with are producers and the booking agents on mainstream media outlets because they keep on booking the same shitbags every single week. And it's people that are conspired against the United States of America and haven't been charged yet. And it's just very troubling to see them over and over again be, be lie, just blatantly lie. I remember when um, it was the day after, I believe, inauguration in 2017, I was in the MSNBC studios sitting next to Joy Reid. And it was the first time we both saw alternative facts, that comment by Kellyanne Conway talking about uh, how the inauguration was the biggest ever, which it was not. That was a lie. Um, so I sat there and I hear her regurgitate this talking point. And I was just sitting there. I, I just, my stomach turned because I've been politics for, you know, 15 years or so. And, and I'm just like, lies kill people. So I'm sitting there thinking in my head, Joy's just like, so um, what do you think about that, Scott? And I'm like, resign, uh, resign. And, and I just sat there and I, I did not comprehend how she could just lie and then justify the lie and then skew the lie and try to water it down. Um, and, and I said, you know, these these lies are going to kill people. And obviously they did. You look at coronavirus, we would have not had this many deaths. We would have not had this many illnesses if we had been able to uh, tell the truth and not have to fight for that, um, fight for the truth and uncovering that. And so, Scott, let me just pause you there on just the coronavirus issue, because it wasn't just that Trump was wrong or that all these radical right extremists were wrong on it. It's how wrong they were and how do they get a pass? You know, the things that they like to attack Fauci for is as science evolves science, you learn new things and you adapt and you, you know, and, and the situations change. But when you have the data like Trump had during that critical crisis and you say there are only 15 cases and it is all going to go away, when you make that statement and you are that wrong and then the, the media doesn't talk about that like it's not even a conversation you talk about it we talk about it on socials the groups you lead do but it's like they just get a pass for that the lying to people that it's going to be 15 cases and go away you were off by a million and you were off by close to a million you were off to close to a million deaths not cases you were off you were off by 60 million cases or so you were off by a million deaths yeah. And they uh, did it intentionally. You know, they did it to win. 
They did it for politics, for personal gain. And you look at people who went to jail for Flint water crisis or other political corruption across the country. And this is one of the worst cases of it that I've ever seen. You know, it led to mass death. It just straight up led to mass death. And then also spurned conspiracy theories and allowed people to spread these lies and not just these lies, because then it spread from there. Oh, well, your votes don't actually count. Oh, well, you know, you don't actually have a right to do X, Y, or Z. Like it just, the lies don't stop and they keep on lying on top of lies and it's just hurting people. So there's gotta be some kind of reckoning in regards to a reset. And I think making mansion and cinema irrelevant in the fall uh, would do that. Um, we need some kind of justification for, uh, or maybe justice for all the people that have died. You know, people uh, like Kirsten Urquiza, uh, uh, who, who runs Marked by COVID. She lost her father, who explicitly listened to Fox News and took those talking points from Tucker Carlson and others and died because of it. And we need to recognize that you know, a lot less people would have died if it not for them. And I just don't think that all these anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers have a place in our society anymore. But it, it really is disturbing to see people just carry it on over and over again, um, just the lies after lie, even after people are dying. And then they justify the dying. They act like it's they scoff at it. They laugh it off. You have Trump who sat there and made fun of people who were his friends and supporters who died of COVID, who are po political uh, leaders of their party. And then people would get it in our party and they'd laugh at that and they'd hope that they would die. I mean, it is beyond the most messed up uh, messaging wars that we've ever had. I mean, I, I never thought that I'd be d discussing with the White House or debating with the White House about the first death, which they kept on a cruise ship in international waters. And so I said, the first American has died of COVID. And they came back. They said, oh, no, the first American, no, no nobody died of COVID in America. And I was like, no, I, I got your little Trump trick there. The first American has died of COVID. That's what I said. And, and it's just these little games and this like win-lose mentality. There is a such, such a thing as right and wrong. And they are absolutely in the wrong. And, and it's glad, luckily, we have groups like Midas Touch to... Uh, actually be a voice for the voiceless and to loudly call out the liars and to loudly uh, dispel any of these uh, falsehoods. I mean, these lies have killed people and y'all have uh, been a part of a movement to save people's lives. And that's what it's done. And so I'm very thankful for all y'all have done on the effort. In every right back at you, Scott, with uh, the great work that you do, the Democratic, the Democratic Coalition does. And you know, you know, some people look at us like we're like the OGs now, you know, in the space and we're not. You're the OG in the space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've been doing this for a very, very, very long time before people were really taking to social media, you know, to resist fascism. Um, you led that movement and helped the Democrats take the house and take the, and then eventually take the Senate. Um, and now as we approach 2022 as kind of the master messenger out there, what do you think the Democrats need to be hitting on as we approach 2022 each and every day to 
win the house, keep the Senate. Uh, well, uh, again, keep it simple, stupid. That old Carville quote. Uh, we need to make sure that we clearly, we don't need build back better, things like that, where it's catchphrases like that. We need to say, we put money into your pockets. We protected you from COVID. Uh, we helped save lives from COVID. Um, we, we need to, uh, the the biggest stressor is the, the fact we put money in people's pockets and we save them money. Um, reminding them of that and reminding them that Republicans were against that. I, I think repeating that over and over again. But again, people get sick of that. Oh, Republicans did this, Republicans did that. Like we'll be able to handle the attack on that, but the Democratic Party and the, its leadership need to to tout what they've done and also what they're going to do in the future. Um, so you can talk about the American Rescue Plan, you can talk about the infrastructure bill, uh, you can talk about the fact that you have the most diverse cabinet ever. You have, you can talk about the fact that um, obviously Judge Jackson is going to be on the Supreme Court as the first Black woman ever on the Supreme Court. Um, these are these are gigantic accomplishments on top of the fact that they have pushed some bipartisan uh, reform through, especially supporting Ukraine uh, and then also attacking Russia. Um, so there's been a lot of things that have, have been good. And then you we also have to go on the defensive and offensive uh, to prepare for things like uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal. The fact is, uh, Biden, President Biden ended the war in Afghanistan. He ended it. No one else did. Uh, he was left a shit sandwich by Donald Trump. Um, you know, troops surrounded around the country by the Taliban. He made a deal with the Taliban so he, he could wave a piece of paper around and say, look at what I accomplished. Look what I did. And it was just nonsense. It was BS. And so um, Biden did it. Biden got the troops out. It wasn't pretty, but there was no pretty exit. There was no way to not leave some stuff there. There was no way to just get out of there uh, unscathed. And we're lucky that there was only one terrorist attack around that uh, time and, and uh, it, that which was terrible as it was. And obviously the scenes were not uh, pretty, but war is not. Um, and, and so I, I just I think there's a lot of accomplishments of saving American lives, saving American jobs, putting money back into people's pockets, creating jobs. And maybe one of the biggest things is when we talk about the infrastructure bill and we have states, uh, people running for Senate, people running for Congress, they need to go to these sites and stand in front of them and say, these people working right here, this is because of the infrastructure bill. This is because of the money that we put behind it. And Republicans were against this all. And this is all Democrats right here. They need to plant the flag and probably do so. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to talk about treason and, and everything. It was January 6th. There will be public hearings. And obviously, um, Rep. Raskin talked about how it's going to blow the top off the, the Capitol building, um, you know, uh, hypothetically. And, and uh, it, it's, it, it really, there's a lot of revelations that will come out that are going to be like, we knew it. We knew it. We knew yeah. it the whole time. We, and it, it's just... There's there's more to come on that front. So they're going to have to deal with that. Republicans will have to deal with that reckoning. Um, but we'll have to sell to the American people again. And remember, they're not going to remember everything that's been done because everyone's right. dealt with tragedy. Everyone's dealt with COVID. Everyone's dealt with money problems. All normal Americans have dealt with rising prices at the pumps, prices elsewhere, and because of corporate greed and other reasons, but it comes back to the president where, where people will blame him for it. And he's the leader of the Democratic Party. So we just need to make sure that our message is clear. Luckily, we have people on the bench right now 
that are stellar communicators, whether it's uh, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Hillary will have Jill Biden, uh, Kamala Harris and Doug Emhoff out there. So we've got some great communicators. And again, I'll, I'll stress the fact Barack and Michelle being around and campaigning in the summer into the fall is going to be huge for us. But yeah. it's just about focusing on what's local, especially for these swing districts, and pointing out exactly where they're benefiting from everything. Show the people at work. Show, the, show them digging you know, in the soil. Show them fixing uh, things, you know, building internet out and things like that, uh, fixing the water uh, quality issues in areas, you know, right. show them the hands on work. So I, I think that, again, it's Democrats election to lose. And so it's on us to make sure that it's communicated clearly to the American people um, that they should be voted in again and also expand the Senate. And Scott, you talk about communication. And obviously, one of the biggest ways that we've been able to get our message out has been through social media and Twitter. You built a incredible platform of over a million followers, as, as Ben has mentioned on Twitter. And obviously, there are changes afoot with Elon Musk uh, taking over the reins oh. of Twitter if this deal goes through. I feel like we've already seen a bit of the direction where he is heading with it. But how do you think this is going to affect you know, Democratic activists? Do you think that we should all be staying on the platform, staying there and fighting? And what is the free speech that the right is missing so much that they are uh, looking to Elon Musk as their saving grace? Well, I think that to start off with, this free speech is that uh, they want to yell fire in a crowded theater and they're, <laughs> right. they're pissed mm-hmm. that they can't. Um, so that's that's their free speech. The idea of free speech is running around with a, you know, a rifle, being able to shoot it, shoot it at anyone in any direction and be like, it's your fault. It's your fault that I shot that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's just like that's that's the kind of blame game they want to play. So Scott, we've uh, all been on all the social media platforms. To me, Twitter is actually the most democratized. And Twitter, to me, is also the one that has the most, quote unquote, free speech. Like I've been suspended briefly on other platforms for saying things that Twitter has no issue with. And so I, the only free speech that I see them wanting to say are stuff like, you know, about vaccines, get fake informations about vaccines that actually result in the deaths of people, threatening people, harassing people. Those are the only real examples that I've seen from these right wingers who say, oh, finally, now I'm going to be able to say, I don't even want to say it on the show. Now I'm going to want to say X, Y, and Z, you know, is that, is is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, well, one of the keys with Twitter is they have real humans fact-checking viral tweets and, and making sure that it's not false. We also have the birdwatch system, which has started to go public, uh, that, that has clarification or flags on tweets as well. Um, before the election, they had flags on tweets where they have notes under it and they did it with me and you know, Fox News made a story about it of like us announcing the fact that President Biden had won. And they're like, well, it's not official until they, whatever, he he had won. Um, I think that there is no chance in hell that I'm going to cede any power to Republicans and the right on Twitter, on any social media platform. I'm not getting off of it because it is a very terrible idea for us to abandon it because that's how we lose. If everybody leaves Twitter, we lose the midterms, we'll lose 2024 by landslide. Like the the effect of, of Twitter on the American voter is like is massive. It is it is massive. And so we need to make sure that we keep on pounding home. The fight has been digital. The, the digital war has started in, you know, 2015 or so, and it hasn't ended yet. 
And the reason why we have all these changes on Twitter is because of folks like you, Midas Touch, and other, uh, the Democratic Coalition and everybody putting the fight uh, and public pressure out there to make sure these changes take place. Trump didn't magically leave the platform. I remember the day before um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's people reached out. Was, Let's do one more push to remove Trump from Twitter. And I was tired. I think this was this was right after January 6th. So I was just exhausted. I was like, this is a wasted effort, blah, blah, blah. And so we did one more push and then he was removed from the platform. I don't know what did the final kind of thing. I think it was January 6th. But like that didn't magically happen. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that didn't magically happen. It was uh, it was years of work and it was pounding at home and proving that he doesn't deserve to be on the platform. And, you know, it just there's a lot of things like that. I think Elon Musk, in regards to him, you know, he's a showboat and he knows it. Um, But but at the same time, he has done some good things for society. Mm -hmm. What he's doing now is he's playing with fire. He is playing with the right. He's playing with the left. Um, and he's toying with way too many people. And it's going to backfire it's spectacularly. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Um, you know, he, he's either the richest or second richest man in the world, world of Putin <laughs> or whoever's richer. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, at, this, at this point, it's probably Elon. But like, you know, what are, what are you doing, dude? Get, get a damn hobby. Like fix the world food supply. Do something good for humanity. Um, messing with Twitter because you want to kick off a guy from the platform because he was tracking your flights is a teenager. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. So, I mean, we cannot abandon any of this, uh, any social media site for any reason. Um, you know, I wanted to leave Facebook. I wanted to get off there. I want, I didn't want us to use it anymore. We've got like 500,000 followers of the coalition. I've got like 65,000 personally. And it just does not make any sense. It is cutting your arm yeah. off to be, and, and it's just, it's not necessary. I know that they're corrupt. One of the things is, you know, Facebook likes to monetize things. And so we're like, okay, I don't want to touch their dirty money. So what we do is we'll monetize things and then we'll put it in our fund to defeat Facebook. So it goes back <laughs> against them. Um, so you like, we have to come up with the creative ways like that to fight against the system, but it's not going to change if we abandon it. And it's definitely not going to go away. So if we, we can't be a part of it, we can't be a part of that ecosystem to make things better if we're not on those platforms. So no one should be leaving. I understand if people do leave different social media platforms with their personal beliefs, but I, I beg of you to not abandon, especially Twitter out of any of the social media platforms. It is essential for winning. We cannot win without it. That's a fact. And so please stay on Twitter for now. Um, in the future, if Jack comes up with something cool or somebody else, you know, I, I think what will happen is the power of different social media sites is going to spread out because there's going to be so many different social media sites and it's not going to have the effect on people as it used to. Also, people are going to be a little bit smarter. But keep in mind, there's going to be new attack tactics. We're yep. going to have to be on the ball about this, you know, the fake fake videos that will come out, uh, deep fake, things like that. Like, we're going to have to be on top of it. And w- without people like us on the platform, it starts to spread like a wildfire. Like, it will be out of control, disinformation, misinformation constantly and we won't be able to stop it. We have to keep our defenses up and we cannot abandon the platforms at all. Scott, I got to ask you about this, man, switching gears a bit here. So I moved to Pennsylvania about two years ago, coming up my two-year anniversary now. Did you see the Republican debate 
for Senate uh, that unfolded last week and how all of those candidates, Dr. Oz, McCormick and the ilk, were all bending over backwards to talk about how Trump loves them. What do you make of that? What does that say about Trump's stronghold on the Republican Party? Well, let me phrase it this way, the perceived stronghold, because I have a follow up after this. Sure. Um, first of all, I just want to respect your, your basketball skills. You know, hey, uh, thanks, that man. was a, that was a great that was a great uh, interaction you had there. Um, shout, out, shout out A.G. Shapiro. I'm wearing the jersey right now. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. T. <laughs> Shapiro, like it, it's he's going to make a, a great governor. Um, Absolutely. You know, and uh, so I, I think it's it's just it's kissing the ring, but it's beyond cult status because they didn't talk about any of the issues. They didn't talk about anything that had, what's your guy's name in Texas, Texas, Larry, Texas, that, Texas, Paul. Paul. Texas Paul. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So Texas Paul, and he had mentioned that like they actually did. There was nothing of substance. They were just out trumping each other, trying to be like, he loves me better. He loves me more. He gave me this present is just like a cat fight. And it made no sense whatsoever. Uh, debate style, it was non-existent. It was a, a Trump debate as to who could be more Trumpian and who has has more love from Trump. It's just, it's disgusting. It's the, a new low. I mean, obviously, they hit a new low every time. But I, I just don't think voters are going to be fooled or um, the people that they need to vote for them are going to be coaxed into voting for them because they were more Trumpy than the other one. Like they stand for nothing good. And I think that it reveals the truth. They gave us campaign ads for the fall. Thank you very much. Um, that's, that's all they did here. That's all they accomplished. And that last point is exactly what I'm hinting at there. It's like the perceived perception of how much power Trump really does have over the party. Because if you look at Georgia, you look at the numbers there happening in Georgia, Brian Kemp is far and away leading that race, that primary race over Chicken Purdue, who Chicken Purdue has been heavily endorsed by Trump there. So, I mean, what, what do you make of that? I think that uh, there's a lot more common sense, con real conservative Republicans coming back in the fold. I have a lot of people telling me in Georgia and, and in Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, so southeastern United States that, oh, <laughs> they're starting to use the excuse. It, it was never just about Trump. It was not, like we don't need him to run for president again. We don't. And they're kind of acting like he didn't exist anymore. And I, and I think they don't want him involved because they can't scam the same way anymore. He's not a big, big enough to distraction to d distract from their corruption. And so they want to do that silent kind of like, oh, we support these different things while they're robbing you blind, right? And they can't do that because it's just a distraction and, and more of a spotlight on that corruption. So I, I think they don't want to be linked with them anymore. Also, a, a lot of their tactics are dirty and Purdue's a loser. Uh, he really think, is. Every time I see a picture of him, I'm like, this guy, this is a little loser. This is like right. a loser. He's not, he's, he's never been a really good guy. And now he's just spreading lies, the big lie again, more so. And we got him on tape. Uh, obviously, Lauren Windsor, excellent journalist. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a place where you cannot, I worked in Georgia in 2006 on the ground. Um, and it's just, it's a place where you can't, you can't bullshit people. You can't, you can't do that. And they're not going to fall for your tricks. Obviously they didn't fall for it in 2021. Um, they didn't fall for it in 2020 um, with Biden or with Warnock or with Ossoff. Like that's why they won because you have people full of it that were running for office. Nobody believed them. You couldn't trust them. And I think people remember that people remember the hits that Purdue got and Kemp is trying his best 
to be more mainstream and obviously be the anti-Trump without talking about Trump, uh, without trying to attack him. So I think that there's going to be a lot of Trump people who vote for Kemp because they're just not paying attention. Um, and then there will be people who vote for Purdue because they have their head up their ass and they don't care about this country, their state or anything at all in general. Scott Dworkin, as always, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, brothers, and keep up the great work. Now, we appreciate you so much, everybody. I'm sure everyone's already following Scott, but follow Scott Dworkin and the Democratic Coalition and the Dworkin Report across all platforms. We will be right back after these messages. For the most important news of the day, massive news dumped handwritten contemporaneous notes. The Treasury needs to hand over Trump's taxes. With the most compelling interviews, please welcome Congressman Adam Schiff, Molly Jong Fast, Mike McFaul, Andrew Weissman, Barb McQuaid, Glenn Kirshner, Colonel Alexander Venman, former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, and all the appropriate profanity. Lawsuit to block that sh- Captain Douche, bullshit, immigration executive order. Anyone that stupid should just not be in Congress. Renowned cowardly f- face Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the douche. Even crew. Mary Trump agrees. Join this binder full of women curating the news from the left with appropriate f-ing profanity. Listen weekday mornings to the Daily Beans. Left-leaning news from a woman's perspective. We make the news bearable by making it swearable. So put some beans on it with Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and me, Allison Gill. And who doesn't f- like that and great to have scott dworkin Dwork. and you gotta check out dwork's newsweek scott dworkin's newsweek piece today it's out today scott dworkin an incredible activist you know really one of the ogs in this space who's pioneered the importance of digital activism someone who we've always you know looked to as a important uh, vital uh, leader in this fight, Scott Dworkin, and, and just a great friend too. And, and He's great, an example of what all of what everybody needs to be in this space. It's when we came up and we rose quickly. He could have not held a grudge, you know, but he could have looked at us as like the new people on the block who were encroaching on his territory and things like that. And he could have pushed back. He could have ignored us. He could have given us the cold shoulder, but instead he embraced us. And he said, I like what you guys are doing. Let me amplify you. Let me help you out as much as I can. And so I will always, you know, appreciate Scott for that. And I think it's an example that we always try to do to, you know, anybody that we see coming up, like we need to all amplify each other instead of attacking each other. We need to all support each other and we need to unite and we need to build coalitions as we head into these elections. Final rant. Finish him. Do you like that? World <laughs> combat? <laughs> this is going to be your new rant. This is going to be like your uh... final rant. Finish him. What do you think of it? Go- <laughs> and it goes like, all right, let's hear the rant. It's okay. The rant is the following. Steve Schmidt posted something on Twitter that I thought really resonated with me. And I think which would resonate with all people in America right now fighting for democracy. And he said that he spoke with a member of Congress who said something that profoundly resonated with him as well. And that is referring to the majority of pro-democracy loving people in the United States as the exhausted majority. We've sometimes referred to this pro-democratic, pro-democracy coalition as the true silent majority, but this term exhausted majority really resonated with me. And the example that I gave, I saw this TikTok video recently that's been going viral as well. And it's a TikTok of people on the airplane. And it's a group of people on an airplane. And there's an individual who's 
saying all of these horribly homophobic slurs and just screaming about how this is China and continuing to say these just horrible, horrible homophobic slurs. The individuals then removed from the plane and then says, why are you removing me? Just because I'm a Trump supporter. I'm going to sue you. Um, that was one person on that airplane. And, you know, maybe the family members who also agreed with that, who were also saying these horrible things, but everybody else on that plane, they were just exhausted. We're exhausted by this conduct. And we're just like, oh, can you just stop it? I just want to fly to where I want to try to fly here. And I just want to see my family. I just want to go on a vacation. I really just want to live my life. Can you stop it? And sometimes that urge and that exhaustion can be turned into apathy in that, hey, I just don't want to even deal with it. Turn off my TV, shut my eyes, just be quiet. And that is where democracy dies. And so it's our job as activists to awaken the exhausted majority. That is really the most vital and important thing and explain to the exhausted majority why shutting their eyes, turning off their TV, not voting will have the opposite effect. It will empower individuals like that, not just to be on the airplane, but to become your pilots. Do you want that person to become your pilot? Because that is what it's like to have someone like Donald Trump lead the country. That is what it's like to have someone like DeSantis lead your country. And that is a pilot who is not steady and not someone you want to be a true leader. This is the Midas Touch podcast. I like it, Ben. And Jordy, special shout out to our sponsors, Athletic Greens and ExpressVPN. Thank you all, the Midas mighty continuing to fight for our democracy we are going to win this for our nation i promise you that wait ben i have a better name though for the final rant i think we call that the midas minute shout out to the midas mighty